Hello and welcome everyone to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now here's our surf pastor, Dr. Elliot Higgins. Let's listen. This morning, we start a brand new series. Dr. Moore and I are going to be working through, but I am with you this morning. I'm the surf pastor here at Southcliff. This series we're starting is called One Another one another. We recognize that that God created you and he's created friendship. He has created marriage. He's created diversity. And yet he's also created unity. We know that God knows what he's doing. And in the world of relationship, when we are working one another, with one another in every possible way, we know that God has a plan of perfection. Throughout all the pages of scripture, we see this simple phrase show up time and time and time again. It is one another. God gives us clear instructions. God knows what he's doing. God also knew that you would be here this morning. So with that one another, we're going to turn in our Bible today to John chapter 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. Now, I am going to stay in this chair at this table. It's unusual for me, but I've been sick most of the week. I feel great today and yesterday, but my energy level is just not back up there yet, uh, nor is my voice. So I'm going to stay here, and it was much to the delight of the camera operators. They were delighted that they weren't going to have to work as hard as they normally do with me. So watch them. They may very well fall asleep. They're not entirely sure that I'm going to stay in this chair, but we'll see if I can't prove them wrong today. So thank you for your prayers this week. Um, And the passage that's before us is in John chapter 13. Before we read this, I want to give you the context here. Every passage has a context. And so the context that we have here, this is the final 24 hours of Jesus's life. In just a matter of hours away from this, he's going to be nailed to the cross. He's going to hang on that cross for six hours, breathe his last, and usher in the greatest forgiveness story humanity has ever known. So he's in the final few hours of his life. Many have maybe been posed the question, if you had one day left to live, what would you do? Where would you go? What things would you experience? The context before us today, our Savior, when posed with that same question, knew he had less than 24 hours left. He washed the disciples' feet to teach them something very important. The next thing that we see is that he dismisses Judas out of this room. He washes their feet teaches the lesson, sends Judas on his way to bring back those soldiers to arrest him and put everything in motion. That's the passage, that's the context that we're here today. Understand also, people of God, that at this moment, the full fury of hell is weighing in on this situation. Satan and his demonic hordes are trying to overwhelm the people of God, trying to defeat God. In fact, they think that that's exactly what they're doing by killing Jesus. So the full weight of darkness is oppressing this moment. Darkness is even set outside. If you appear out the window of this room, it's already dark. Jesus turns his attention to his disciples in the thick of all of this heaviness, and he 
begins to show them something that is quite profound and powerful. First thing that Jesus does, and you're going to see in this passage, is he reveals to his disciples the fullness of what God is doing. If you've ever wondered, what is God doing? I want to see his power. I want to see his glory. I want to see this. God shows us what he's up to. He, he gives us this picture of what God is doing in the full power thereof. But you're going to see that at the beginning of this passage. And then there's a link. It's where Jesus now shifts this to the end of this passage where Jesus shifts all this power of everything God is doing, and it's as if he places it on the shoulders of his disciples. So everything that God is up to, the fullness of God, moving heaven and earth, all that he's up to is now being placed on the shoulders of his disciples. People of God, I am addressing Jesus' disciples. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, he is addressing first century disciples, we live in the year 2022. We are modern day disciples. Everything Jesus is saying to them is as applicable to us is as if he is speaking it from over the pages of history and onto your life today. God has a plan and a purpose for this one another. And he's taking the fullness of God and going to place it on our shoulders. If you want to see the power of God in your life, then pay very close attention to what Jesus is doing here. If you look at our culture today and you wonder about all the hard things that have come over the past few weeks, the mass shootings, the political uproar, you name it, turn on the news, you can pick your own poison there. But whatever you're looking at, you wonder how can we make a difference? Well, first of all, we make it through the power of God. But how we do that is shown in this passage. If you want to move culture, this is how we do it. This is how we save lives. This is how we have hope. This is how we get God to move in the way that he has created us to do. Watch. John chapter 13 beginning in verse 31. Now remember, we're watching this first part. He's showing us something about what God is doing. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now that's reference to Judas. He's just dismissed him, commanded him, you go out the room, go do what you need to do, bring those guards back. He's dismissed them and he's turned his attention to his disciples. That's us. Watch, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now look with me back up to verse 31. <clears throat> Jesus says this, he's dismissed Judas. Now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Let's pause here for a second. 
The first thing that we're seeing Jesus do is he's turning their attention to right now, that word now. It is a present tense. He is focusing the attention of his disciples of what's happening in this moment. I want you to look presently at what's taking place. Then he says, the son of man is glorified. Son of man here is a direct reference to Daniel chapter 7. It is where we see that this phrase is that God is in human form. It shows up throughout the pages of scripture, but what it is so clearly saying is God in flesh, the son of man. We see that all over scripture. We see instances where all of heaven is quiet, waiting. Who can open this scroll? Who can break these seals? No one among us is worthy, all of heaven, and is silent. And here's the son of man. It says, one like the son of man. It's God in human form. He is walking to the throne of God, seated at the right hand. There is something special about this one. This is God the son, God in flesh. So Jesus is drawing his attention, the attention of his disciples to who he is. The son of man, God, the the God of, of everything, the creator, the one who sustains all of this. This is who he is, his identity. Now, presently, what's taking place, the son of man, God in human form, Jesus, is glorified, is glorified. So what's taking place right now, disciples, is that I am being glorified. And what he is accomplishing, everything that they have known is changing, like the shifting sand in a desert. It is changing right before their eyes. They've been able to walk with Jesus, talk with him. They're sitting down to have a meal. But it's all about to change. When they watch him nailed to the cross, their leader has been taken from them. Hopelessness and darkness and despair, it begins to overwhelm them. But he says, in this moment, it's all changing, that the Son of Man is glorified. The word glorified is to be lifted up, extolled. You are, are like a conquering general. You are worthy of praise. You are on a different level. And so he's saying that I, son of God, am being lifted up and glorified in this moment. But it doesn't stop there. It says God is glorified in him. This is God the Father. The Holy Spirit's working out all of these details. We're seeing the fullness of God at work in this moment. This is what he's trying to communicate to his disciples. So Jesus is being glorified in what's taking place, this death, burial, resurrection. Nothing is escaping his notice here. He is being glorified. God the Father is being glorified in him. That means that God the Father is getting glory in this situation in Jesus Christ, and both of them working together, this isn't a solo mission. This is the fullness of God is working this out in the darkest of dark. Understand this, people of God. Everything that he is drawing their attention to is the cruelest of cruel of humanity. The whole image of his death, they dress him up in a purple robe as if he's royal. They mock him, they spit on him, they beat him so bad he can't hardly walk. Then they nail him to a cross and let him hang there in the sun for six hours until he breathes his last. They laugh at him, they put a crown of thorns on his head. You know the story. The cruelest of cruel that humanity has to offer is what he is drawing glory from. The full fury of hell is waging war at this moment, and yet God is getting glory from it. 
the pinnacle of everything that happens on earth right now. He says, I am getting the glory. I don't want to take away from the work of what Jesus has done on the cross in that story. But I do want to remind you, you may be here today and looking at the darkest of dark in your life. And you may be wondering, how in the world is God going to work through this? I see no way out. I don't know how God is going to redeem this situation. If that's you, look back at this passage. It's in the darkest of dark that the mightiest of things that God has ever done comes about. No doubt, God redeems everything that he allows. We see that here. He will get the glory. He always will. And that is a true story from this first passage. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. We're seeing that picture of what God is doing in their midst. Watch with me this next part. He says, verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. I recognize there's a lot of glorification taking place in this passage. He uses the word glorify five times. This first part, Jesus saying, I am getting glory. God the Father is working in this. He is in the thick of it. He is getting glory in me. But then he flips it over. God is, if God is getting glory in me, God will also glorify him in himself. Now we're seeing the reversal where the son, God the son is being glorified in Christ. We see this when he lifts him and puts him at the right hand of the throne. God the father is so pleased. He is glorifying him in himself and at once. All of this, you remember now and at once, all of this presently, everything Jesus is doing, the death, the burial, the resurrection, this whole redemptive story is where the fullness of God is at work. And the fullness of God is being glorified in every direction. This is a profound statement to be sure. Let me show you something in this passage this is one of those things that when people say, Scripture has just been written by men, and, and there's full of errors, I want you to watch something in this text. This is one of those things that I don't think anybody, the smartest people on this earth, would think through. But watch this. That first word, when Jesus speaks, he says, now, that's present tense. Hang with me for a minute. Presently, now, what's happening right now? Watch this. The first three glorifieds that he does, Son of man will be glorified. God is glorified. In These are past tense. There's five glorifieds. Past tense are the first three. The last two are future tense glorified. And then it ends with immediately. That's present tense. There's a lot happening here. Jesus is showing us in a matter of sentences what God is doing. He is revealing the fullness of God in a matter of a few sentences. Here's what this means for you and I. That's what the brilliance of Scripture is all about. Jesus is saying, right now and immediately, sandwiched between this present tense, God is getting glory, everything past tense, everything God has been doing for all of eternity past, all of the work and the redemptive stories and all of how God has been orchestrating up to this moment, everything is culminating at this moment presently. All of this glory is now. And then he reaches out into the future. Everything God is doing in the future, all that God's intention is for the future is brought back into this moment immediately, present tense. 
But yet, they're not confined to that. They're still speaking both ways. In other words, what Jesus is doing right now, his death, burial, and resurrection, that immediate moment, is echoing both ways through eternity. Everything God has been doing and everything God will be doing in the future is brought back to this moment. If you're looking and wondering where is God in this situation, I guarantee it's always gonna come back to the redemptive nature and story of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. That is what God is doing, past, present, future. There's a lot happening in this passage, but he is showing us what God is doing for eternity past, eternity future. He's focused here of what Jesus has done for you. Now, that's the picture of what God is up to. Now, watch what he does as we continue in this passage. He's showing us the fullness of God, eternity, past, present, future, everything that he's up to, and then he shifts it. He says, you've been walking with me. Things are about to change. And it's as if he puts, puts this on the shoulders of his disciples, and he's showing everything God is doing, I'm now placing on your shoulders. If you want to see the power of God in your life, if you want to change the world like what Jesus has done, then this is how we go about it. This is your new command. This is now on your shoulders. Watch, we'll see this shift. He showed us what God's doing in verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. This is that shift. This is that bridge into this new thing where he's putting on their shoulders. He calls them little children. Now, he's addressing his disciples. This is not a derogatory word, like calling them kids or boys and girls or something like that. This is a reference. You are my next generation. You are the next step in this whole saga. You are the next step. What God is doing, eternity, past, present, future, has to do with me. But listen, it's all now resting on your shoulders. You have this same power because of what I've done. Little children, my next generation, I'm about to step off the pages here of this walking on earth, but you have a different role now. Look with us as we see this role. This, by the way, people of God, is your role. This is something that echoes until Jesus returns on this earth. This command is as strong as directed to you as it was to these disciples. This command that Jesus gives is the singular force that God is using to change our culture, to change you, your family, your relationship, everything. This is the powerhouse. Watch with me, if you will. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Watch, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. This new commandment, the, the word command, that is a, a declaration, a forceful, emphatic statement. I command you to love. But the new word, that new, it's not as though love is new. It's not as though it's, it hasn't been the theme of Scripture from Genesis chapter 1. It's not new in that sense, but rather it's new on how it goes about working. You see what Jesus says. He doesn't say, I command you to love one another. He says, I want you to do it the way that I have loved you. That's why it was important to see the fullness of what God was doing, past, present, and future. 
Everything God has been doing for all of eternity has been focused on his love for you. Now he turns it over to them. This new command, how I've loved you, I want you to love one another. Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The third time he said that. Anytime we see something in scripture where Jesus says it three times, it is a worthy thing for us to recognize. Love one another. But here's what this love does. He, he gives us a picture of the power here. He showed us what God is doing. Now he's placing this power on our shoulders in this word called love. Everything God has done, I'm going to give to you here, that you have this moving forward, that all people will know that you are my disciples. All people. Doesn't matter what country you come from. Doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter anything about you. This love that God has given, this love that God has demonstrated crosses all boundaries. It means that it has power in every person's life. Every person, every place, at every time. All people will know. This love is not natural. It does not come easy. It comes at a great cost. Now, I live in the world of Texas where we have air conditioning. We have a lot of good things that we have in our culture to today. But I want to remind you, I don't live in heaven. I know that that is far better than Texas. But if you rewind time and look at the, the culture that Jesus chose to step into this society in ancient day, the things he gave up for you. The same thing he's saying, that these people will know that you are my disciples. This goes beyond logic. It goes beyond reason even if you have love for one another. This emphasis of love, the first picture, everything that Jesus is doing, they don't understand. But God is getting glory from the darkest of circumstances, the most cruelest of cruel moments. God is getting glory. The fullness of God in heaven and earth, everything is culminating and getting glory in this dark situation. But Jesus now says, you as disciples, when you love one another, you are engaging that very power. Everything that I have moved in heaven and earth is now being moved with this concept called love. What is so interesting for us as believers is we often hear this word love and dismiss it as being weak as being something that, that sounds good, that sounds like something you'll hear in a church. But it is this very thing that changes the fabric of culture. It is the very thing that, that allows God to get glory in the darkest of circumstances when love for one another exists. It's a command, a marching order from our God. Let me show you a picture of what this looks like. On the screen before you, you're going to see a rock in a very dry place. This is actually in Death Valley National Park, and this rock is one of many that's called a sailing stone. And it is in a, a deserted uh, lake bed. It's completely dry. There is no lake there, as you can tell. But these stones, some of them, this one in particular is super heavy. Many of them can be just a few ounces, 100 pounds. This, this is 700 pounds. There are some big rocks here these sailing stones. But as you see, this thing has left a mark behind it. It is moving somehow. 
The scientists have been baffled by this for 100 years. It was first seen in the early 1900s, and listen, in 2013 is when scientists figured out why these rocks are moving. Typical American way, we want to know why in the world it, our rocks are moving. So we plug them with GPS trackers, we have time-lapse cameras, we have weather stations all over this. Why are these rocks moving? What in the world is going on? But they seem to be moving on their own. From the picture, you can tell there is no running water. That's, it's not as if it's in a stream and it's being pushed along there. That doesn't exist. There's nothing magnetic about this. This rock is the same as what's in the mountains in the background. There's nothing happening there. They've known that. There's no extremely high wind, but even that 700-pound rock, that takes a lot of wind to move that. What is it that makes this thing move? Well, with all the tens of thousands of dollars of know-how, they figured out the scenario. Do you want to know what moves a 700-pound boulder? A gentle breeze. That's what moves that 700-pound rock, a gentle breeze. How in the world does that happen? It seems counterintuitive, illogical. How does that work? Well, let me say... What they discovered is that there is a perfect weather phenomenon that takes place. Perfect. There's a little bit of rain that falls up in the mountains that, that you really can't see in this picture. And it comes down into this lake bed, but it doesn't fill it up with water. You're locking, looking at just about a millimeter to two millimeters worth of, of liquid. It just settles on the surface. Moisture, but it freezes. And when the sun comes out, this moisture goes away within an hour or two. I mean, it's gone. Nobody ever knew that it existed. But in that time, <coughs> what we see is that it begins to melt under this ice, and a gentle breeze blows across this sheet of ice, which covers this entire lake bed wide. It is extremely wide. And just the friction of that gentle breeze blowing across this ice sheet is enough to move these 700-pound boulders, acts like a sail on a sailboat. A gentle breeze is what moves the largest of boulders. Well, here's the context of what Jesus is showing us in this passage of Scripture. We dismiss a gentle breeze. It could never move a rock like this. We need something stronger. We need gravitational force, except this is level ground. We need the flow of water, except there isn't any flow of water here. We need incredibly strong wind, except that doesn't exist here either. There is, we need magnetism, something. We need strong forces to move strong objects. That is human thinking. What God says here is like a gentle breeze, love will move the largest of obstacles. And here's why. He finished the very beginning. You remember all that glory that Jesus was talking about? That is that perfect phenomenon of everything coming together. That is that perfect storm, as you were, that echoes and spreads far-reaching from eternity past and eternity future and right here and right now. Everything that God is doing is this. And from this, Jesus says, love one another. And when you love, it is a gentle breeze, easily dismissed easily set aside as something that won't change an entire nation. But it is a gentle breeze that moves the largest of stones. And it is the gentle breeze of love that's so easily dismissed that can change the very fabric of our world. <clears throat> it only works when coupled with that great phenomenon. And this only works when coupled with the work 
of God on our earth. So we see that God gives us the command now to love one another. God has a lot of experience on how to heal and mend relationships. God has a lot of experience in changing the very fabric of culture. If you wonder if it's possible to redeem our country today, just look back at what Jesus did years ago and how he has transformed the world. And it is this truth that he has now placed on your shoulders. He's saying, this gentle breeze, this thing called love can change the world. You may be looking for powerful forces to impact our culture. If I can be honest, in our day, you look at things like Uvalde, you look at the mass shootings, you look at the political chaos, you look at, you turn on the news, you're going to find challenging things. We have a tendency as believers to lean on something and to look for something powerful to change these horrible things. These are like boulders in our culture and we're trying to move them through politics. We're trying to move them through sheer force. We try to move them in every other way, but God is saying, listen, it is literally this act of love for one another that changes everything. Do not dismiss this gentle breeze. Do not dismiss this love because behind it is the full might and power of God. And he brought you here, I am convinced, to remind each one of us that he's as active today as ever before. And he intends to change the fabric of culture. But there's these three things that he says, love one another, love one another, love one another. My question to you today, why are you here? Why did God bring you here this morning? What is it in your life that he is reminding you <clears throat> of this love? Is it that you <clears throat> are fearful of showing love? Things won't go the way you want. And you're in the thick of the darkest of dark and you wonder, look, I can't show love here. It is in that that Jesus showed love. It is in that that God works. Is that it? Maybe, maybe there's an element of selfishness in your life. I don't know. I know that the Lord knows, and I know that he is good at putting his finger of that in our life. If I can also be honest, when I look at these mass shootings and, and the perpetrators, sometimes I wonder, if you look at their family life, they probably have never been shown love ever in their life. It does not excuse their decisions. But I wonder if, I wonder if, the church, if we show love to those that we see around us and we see them as people that Christ died for, if it may not change people's lives, like scripture says that it will. You may be here today and have grown up in a home like that. You may have been completely worthy of being loved by your parents, by your family, and never received an ounce of it. Maybe the Lord is calling you to forgiveness. Maybe he's calling you to extend the love that no one's called, shown you. I don't know what your story is, but I do know that it's no accident that you're here today. God's commands reign supreme, love one another. Here's what I'm gonna ask that we do today. I believe God has given us his word and that he has spoken this command over us today to remind us of the power of love. And today you may need to do business with God 
something you need to lay down and say, this is keeping me from loving. Maybe something you need to pick up, something new. You need to engage this love somewhere. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I'm going to ask that in our time of response that you do business with God, whatever that may be. If I can be of assistance, I'm going to be down front. You don't need me, but I'll be here. I'm at your service if you need me. But this time you spend with God that we may leave here with a new appreciation of the love and the power of it in our life. Stand with me if you will. Spend time in prayer, singing, and you just lift this out before the Lord. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You've heard his name, but you have never experienced his love. That may be the whole reason why you're here as well. I'm here for you as well. Do business with God how he calls you to in our moments together now. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.